um, is a dear friend and very thankful that she's here today. Um, Betsy is an ordained minister. She was ordained in 1980. And then in 97, she came to Peachtree Road with her late husband, Monfred Hoffman. He became the theologian in residence here for many years. And then the following year, Betsy joined the staff of the church and you did um, director of education and also pastoral care, which you were, say fabulous is an understatement. Um, to have, a, you may have experienced pastoral care through Betsy, but to be in a hospital room and see her walk through the door just changes everything. So you did a wonderful job there. And then Bo and I were lucky enough to have Betsy as our Disciple One teacher, probably, I think, 15 years ago or a long time ago, and that was just a wonderful experience. So I'm thrilled she said yes today and just so happy to have her here. Yeah, I'd like Thank to you. echo what Natalie said. Uh, what little bit I know about the Bible I learned from Betsy. <laughs> so, uh, very thankful she was our Disciple teacher for, you know, nine months. We got a ton of good out of it. I was more than impressed with her knowledge and how it applies to current day geography, and I just learned all kind of good stuff. So geography, yeah, well, yeah. like you know, modern day Iran or in Iraq. Oh, that was place. in the book. I don't really know geography. <laughs> oh, you had me fooled. All right, well, I'll open us in prayer here. Dear Lord, thanks so much for bringing us together here safely on this beautiful Mother's Day. Thank you for all the mothers and and all they mean to us. Uh, please. Please continue to guide them as they form our society in a Christian manner. Please be with Beth, Betsy today. Help her to speak your words. Help us to hear them. May we use them forward as we go throughout next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you both. I'm honored to be here. I know most of you, but some of you, um, some of you are new, right? Are y'all new to, to me and vice versa? Yeah, not yes. to the church, but yes. <laughs> good. I mean, I'm good. I'm glad to meet you. And I'm honored to be recorded. That's unusual, except in the pulpit. Thank you. It's great to be back in the forum room. I remember when I came as Minister of Education, it was turned around that way, and it didn't go that far. So it was a shortened version of the forum room. And I began fathering the senior minister who shall remain nameless but you all know who that was in 1998 and I said we've got to have, we're going to be doing more with forums we have to have a larger room so I went on this kind of forced march with Don throughout the entire building even into recreation because it was going to cost money to take out the wall in this room to join it with the budding room and I just kept saying no that won't do no that won't do <laughs> and when we got to the recreation department Laura Clark said absolutely not we don't have any rooms to spare from recreation so here we have the expanded forum room I don't think uh, I don't remember geography in terms of how we expanded it but we did and then we got audio equipment for it which is not here but I guess we don't you all don't need it right it's in that case right there and it's running no, no sometimes <laughs> yes that was the problem in the beginning so it's a pleasure to be invited back to teach Sunday school again since I retired I have been um, I have not wanted and especially since my husband died I have not wanted to be away from church 
any more than I had to be because this is the most welcoming, comforting, spirit-filled place I've ever been. I've been here for 20 years, having been in ministry for 17 before that, but, but this is it for me, and I'm so grateful that I'm allowed to continue a volunteer ministry as reti a retired clergy person. I went to my hometown of Charleston, South Carolina this past week, and driving back, I saw a small country church near Williston. Anybody from that area? And on its signboard, the sermon title for today was announced as Mothers Magnify the Lord. I had already wanted to share with you the story of the Canaanite woman as a mother who spoke truth to Jesus and who changed his mind. I don't know if you think of that as being possible theologically, but in the scripture it, it happened. So I'm here to tell you about how a mother magnified the Lord by changing the mind of Jesus about healing her daughter. This is about the Canaanite woman, as she's um, known, I think she should be called the Canaanite mother because that's the point of the story. And it's in Matthew 15, 21 through 28, if you want to look it up. But if not, I'm going to read it to you anyway. Listen for the word of God. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, shouting at Jesus, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting at us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You remember Canaan, the land into which the Israelites were led after they crossed the Red Sea and journeyed in the wilderness. They found Canaan as the place they believed God wanted them to claim as home. You remember Jericho, where Joshua fought the battle and encircled the city and blew his trumpet. That was in Canaan. So these, this is a serious enmity between the people of Israel and the people of Canaan, which, as we all know, continues today. So Jesus was following the script that his people believed in. Uh, the Messiah was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the woman came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her. Anybody know the answer? Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. In this story of his encounter with a Canaanite woman of true faith, this is the first lesson in it for us and for Jesus. People of other faiths can have true faith. And 
as, as Jesus recognized. And he turns out to be almost as vulnerable as she is. He is the one who is a well-raised man of his own faith. He is the one who is the Messiah sent by God to reveal who God is. But Jesus was trying to go on a retreat. As we know through all the Gospels, he periodically went to God again in prayer to find where the Spirit was leading him, to be reassured that his power was truly intended for healing, for miracles, for teaching, for revealing who God is, really. It's like if you were going to Georgia, um, that's what you, yeah, that's what we were just talking about. You would not want, let's, let's use this analogy, you would not want somebody from Russia crossing the border into Georgia, ranting and railing at you, saying, y'all have got to come to Russia, we need you there. No, you were going to Georgia to find out what God wanted you to do in that country. The Pharisees had been after Jesus in the earlier verses of Matthew 15. He has accused them of hypocrisy. Here's the irony. He told the Pharisees, you are too hung up on tradition. It had been a harrowing encounter, followed by a teaching session in which Jesus has explained hypocrisy to his disciples, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. By that he meant rules and regulations, which the Pharisees clung to in order to validate and teach and impart the religion that they believed had been given to them. And yet, here's what's happening almost to Jesus also, except the woman saved him by her faith, saved him from the mistake of the Pharisees. Our story begins with Jesus left that place where the Pharisees were and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And that's where he was trying to go into retreat. But as so often in his ministry, Jesus does not get a break. He almost never gets a break, unless he's out in the middle of the sea in a boat and then the disciples try to come after him. Or when he goes up on the mountain to pray, he ends up preaching a sermon to thousands upon thousands of people or needing to feed 5,000 of them the bread and the fish. He's met, headed for the peace of the countryside when he is met by a crazy stranger, a woman who comes toward him shouting, begging for mercy for her daughter, who sounds as if, well, the daughter is possessed by a demon, says the woman, but she, the mother, sounds as if she is possessed herself. Perhaps Jesus does not respond because he is holding back his temper did you all know that Jesus had a temper? Remember the fig tree? Jesus said, it's not bearing any fruit, chop it down. But the tender of the fig tree said, give it one more year, Lord. And that guy is very much like this mother. Give me a chance, even though I'm a Canaanite, because my daughter will die without you. 
like the fig tree would have died. Now, in all of Scripture, well, first of all, his disciples are no help. They advise Jesus to turn her away. But in all of Scripture, all of the Gospels, he has never once turned away anybody begging for mercy. And so, in this foreign land, he answers the mother of the Canaanite daughter in, the ter in terms of the way she has addressed him. She addresses him as Lord, son of David. And he says, that's right, and I belong to David's people. That's the one, those are the ones to whom God has sent me. Whereas her ancestors were the arch enemies of David's ancestors. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that's in this gospel partly because Matthew's readers believed that. We have come, we would have come to believe it too if it weren't for the Canaanite woman having changed it. But Matthew's congregations were predominantly Jewish, though Gentiles had been included, invited. But Matthew is still, or that is why perhaps Matthew is teaching this story or recording this story. Matthew is still concerned about the division between Jewish people and Gentiles. Again, Jesus resists after the woman kneels in front of him and says, Lord, help me. Jesus says, it is not fair to take the children's food, food meant for the Israelites, and throw it to the dogs. Now, if I'd been that woman, if you'd been that woman, that would have cut us to the heart. But she loved her daughter more than she cared about her own rebuke by Jesus or her own injury as someone of another race, another ethnic group who might have felt insulted. It comes out, this statement, as a limit, a rule, a boundary, which <coughs> Jesus pulls out of the Hebrew tradition to protect himself, perhaps from the demon. He needs to gather strength and energy for the divine battle which is ahead of him, and he doesn't want to waste it on demons in an alien religion and culture. But this mother is brave and wise and desperate. She probably knows that saying which Jesus used against her. Don't we all know in our day of divided culture, divided ethnic groups, don't we all know the tweets, I shouldn't say that, but the, the, the sound bites from the other side. We know exactly what everybody else is thinking and yet we still cling to our own beliefs, our own traditions. So when Jesus says, calls her in effect a dog, she turns it around into a, I wish we could all do that. I wish we could turn our opponent's sayings around to reconciliation on, from both sides to both sides, to mercy. Well, she, she does that successfully. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs 
that fall from the, their master's table. Have you ever heard that somewhere in our own tradition, speaking of traditions, in our Christian tradition? Yes, you have, because it became so famous, the mother's quotation, through the Christian throughout the centuries of Christianity, that the Book of Common Prayer includes it as a communion confession. It's in the long version in our hymnal, and we don't use it every time we take communion, but in the Episcopal tradition they do. It's part of the confessional prayer, Lord, we are not worthy to eat the crumbs under your table, but say the word only, and we will be healed. Maybe it's we will be saved, but it's the confessional prayer before we take the sacrament, and we acknowledge that we're just like the Canaanite woman. We should be under the table eating crumbs, and even that we're unworthy of when it comes to accepting the love and the mercy and the grace of God represented in the wafer and the cup. But we ask for it anyway, and we ask for the word of God. If you have a question, tell me. It's okay, I didn't mean to reprimand you. We'll get, we will get to questions in a minute, but you may not believe what I'm saying, so hold that thought till we get to the end, or close to the end. So the church from the time of Matthew until now is identified with this woman, having picked up her words. We don't use Jesus' words in the communion liturgy. We don't say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe that the Messiah was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, We'd be duck soup if we, if we said we believed that. We'd be out. We're not the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this woman opened the door for us, for all Gentiles, as did other people in the Gospels. She was not the only one, but she might be the only mother who stepped up and did, did that. And Jesus said, we, and we also, sorry, we also want to claim the blessing that Jesus gave her, woman, Great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. Sometimes we struggle with that as we have prayed and prayed. This is a good day. Jack is better. Um, who else is better on your prayer list? Oh, uh, Robert Yarbrough. Yes, Robert Yarbrough. For him, we've all been praying. I was glad to hear the news because I've been praying for them as well. And we, we beg for that response. Your faith has made this person or that person, especially if it's our child. Your faith has healed the bones in this child's leg. <laughs> we want that. But we don't always hear that answer from Jesus. So we just have to keep praying. The woman didn't know she was going to hear the answer, but she persisted. Persistence is a good thing. Bill preached a sermon on the persistent woman back in Lent. And this is the persistent mother story, I would say. Well, let's see. It's almost time for questions. But I'm going to read you something, if I may, in conclusion, from The Cure for Sorrow, A Book of Blessings in a Time of Grief, which I had and am still having a serious time of grief after my husband died last March. So this is how blessings happen, I think. Once I was teaching English in Memphis, Tennessee on the faculty of what was then Southwestern, now Rhodes College, and I had a student named Jane Fahey who, as time went on and 
I went into ministry and ended up here. Jane, too, went into ministry and uh, came to be the Presbytery executive here in Atlanta. Well, I was a Presbyterian, so, and I was her teacher. So immediately she reached out to me when Monfrey died, and she sent me this book, which, by the way, I've asked the dogwood to get. If you like this poem, you might check on that. I don't know if we've gotten it or not. But it's poetry written by a Methodist minister named Jan Richardson, who lost her husband suddenly when they'd only been married four years. So she has different kinds of blessings, like, um, oh, let's see, a blessing for dying alone, which her husband did, um, an orange blossom honey blessing, blessing of the wellspring. They're all very poetic and very beautiful. This is called Stubborn Blessing, and she um, translates the words of the Canaanite woman into contemporary language, and the, the blessing reads, don't tell me no. This is the mother to Jesus. I have seen you feed the thousands, seen miracles spill from your hands like water, like wine, seen you with circles and circles of crowds pressed around you and not one soul turned away. Don't start with me. I am saying you can close the door, but I will keep knocking. You can go silent, but I will keep shouting. You can tighten the circle, but I will trace a bigger one around you, around the life of my child, who will tell you no one surpasses a mother for stubbornness. I'm saying I know what you can do with crumbs, and I'm claiming mine, every morsel and scrap you have up your sleeve. Unclench your hand, Jesus, your heart. Let the scraps fall like manna, like mercy for the life of my child, the life of the world. Don't you tell me no. And I think that legitimizes our persistence in prayer. And it puts a spin on it that brings it home, I believe. That we can, if we think the answer is no, don't stop with that. And Jesus himself says that elsewhere. Just keep on praying. Nothing is impossible to God. So the Canaanite woman broke with tradition. Let's see. I don't need to conclude this. I need to hear what you want to talk about. That, that's about it. That was my conclusion at that point. I think it's pretty straightforward. Yes. We had an interesting conversation with our 12-year-old in the car on the way to church. Ironically this morning. Yeah. Ironically this morning. And her question was, how do people from other religions, what happens to them? And so it's interesting now that we're talking about the Canaanite woman right. who didn't have faith, but now it's referenced that she had faith. Can you reconcile those or maybe even... Well, one way to look at it is that her faith is in Jesus. Right. So that kind of cuts to the chase of how do we get to heaven? Because in several places in the gospel, the implication is only through Jesus. Right. And yet, 
in, in the same Gospel of John where Jesus says, I'm the word, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, in that same Gospel, the opening lines say, Jesus was with God and Jesus was God in the beginning. So then it's kind of up to us to decide if we really believe in a God who, who chooses limits over love. For me, it comes down to that. And I think this story comes out on the side of love. I think the reason the daughter was healed, certainly it was through the power of Jesus given by God, but it was through his love that reached out to the woman because of her faith in him, because of her determined effort to get to those crumbs, which the Jewish tradition had said that's all you're eligible for. So I'm not, I don't think we as Gentiles who once were lost also, once were outsiders, once were rejected by the, by the Jewish people, I don't think it's up to us to say we're the only ones. Look at us. We're special. We're Methodists. God chose us. Or that's what the Presbyterians would say. God chose <laughs> us. Um, because that's not, it wasn't Jesus's habit. And I like to think that after his encounter with the Canaanite woman, he gave up on it. He, he, he had just, you know, castigated the Pharisees for sticking to rules instead of to love. So even if we know of rules that suggest we should shun people, I mean, that's the rules of Islam. Do we want to be like that? I'll tell you, I went to Istanbul. I want to encourage you all to look at the trip. I know you've got, everybody has children, right? Well, <laughs> not you, <laughs> just them. Uh, I, I don't know how we, we should have a trip for families, I think, because we're not doing that yet. But next year, Jamie Jenkins and Bill Britt and Wendy and Lena, their spouses, will lead a trip through Greece to Ephesus in the footsteps of St. Paul. And coming back, there'll be three days and nights in Istanbul. Well, I had two hours in the Istanbul airport this winter. I returned to Germany to visit my husband's parents uh, not, not their parents. Parents are gone. My neighbor went to visit her in-laws, and I went with her. We both were married to German Emory professors. So we took a trip back to the old country. But my travel agent said, you all must fly through Istanbul. Turkish air is the cheapest way to get anywhere. And indeed it was. But my goodness, what an experience. First, the, the landing strip was too short at the <laughs> Istanbul airport. And, the, and I'm sitting at the window looking down, not praying, because I was perfectly happy. I thought, we're going to land. But no, the runway had run out. And when you looked up on the video screen in front of the cabin, you could just see dirt where the plane was going. So the pilot felt like he lifted it by its bootstraps and you know got up. And there was dead silence. Not even the babies cried, and they had been crying. The whole plane was silent. And finally, the pilot said in broken English, I will now execute a go-around. <laughs> so, so we got to see all of Istanbul in glorious sunlight with the Bosphorus shining ahead before us. And I'm thinking, I've seen Istanbul. That was OK. <laughs> and, and also, I wanted to say, this is my point, in the airport, 
it was very hard to find the gate to Frankfurt in Germany where I was going next. And I was wandering and wandering. The, all of the screens had in um, Turkish, bar, I forget the language, pending by the gates. It took me a long time to even figure out what the word was, but it was all pending. They didn't say what gates there were. But I went to one that I thought maybe was the one to Frankfurt, I forget why. And a very pleasant-looking, youngish, um, apparently a Turkish Muslim man, as it turned out, was standing there. And so I went to him boldly and said, Sir, is this the gate to Frankfurt? Now, all he had to say was yes or no. But instead, he looked at me, not unkindly, and he said, I am not allowed to talk with you. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's real. You know, we think we're the ones building the wall. Other people feel that way about us, too. Now, why am I telling you that? I've forgotten where I was going. Where was I going? Something about our, our job is reconciliation, I believe, as Christians. Our job is not to perpetuate the distancing that even Jesus chose to give up. He gave up. Um, shutting out the Canaanites. And again, as I said, if it weren't for that and other efforts by the early church to include Gentiles, Matthew's being um, exemplary, Matthew wrote this gospel so that both Gentiles and Jews were included in the good news of salvation. And if he hadn't done that, if Peter hadn't gone to Cornelius' house and said, it's okay, nothing is unclean in the sight of God, then there wouldn't be a Methodist church or a Peachtree Road today. And yet we still think we're supposed to believe that there's no salvation outside of Christianity. But I don't think we can dictate to God how that's going to happen or assume that we know. That's my theory. Stick into it. <laughs> Anything else? Yes. Can you close us in prayer, Betsy? Yes, I thought I was supposed to keep talking. No, no. Oh, yeah, I mean, okay. Whenever appropriate, <laughs> please close us in prayer. Is there somebody else who had a question or a comment? No? Uh, yes, Eris? So you were a long time involved with Stephen Ministry and helped yes. me through that. Um, being on the other side of that, any feedback or things to think about? I mean, because you You've obviously been just great on the pastoral, on the uh, on the visitations and stuff, but now having gone through what you went through, any insights? Well, well, to you as a Stephen minister, and whenever I get to, to just casually visit with somebody, actually one person from Stephen ministry was wonderful to my husband and came again and again just to sit with him and drink coffee, and he was one of you who was unassigned, and I said, Let's just sign you up as the Stephen minister to Monford Hoffman. He said, no, don't tell him that's what I'm doing. He wouldn't like that. But I think you can keep on doing it. In, in my visit to Charleston, the host of the house was um, waiting for his son's triple bypass surgery up in Vermont. And he was really obviously struggling that night at supper, the night before the surgery. And I was clearing the table, and he just called me and said, and just told me how he felt, how the daughter-in-law was feeling. He just talked 
about what was coming up. And it took me a little bit of time to figure out how to respond. But the first thing, you know, like doctors, first thing, do no harm. First thing, be quiet and listen and encourage the person to speak. You know that as a Stephen minister. So you can use, not use it, but you can offer it to whoever you see that needs your ear. And then I asked him, so did you want me to pray now or in the morning? He said, oh no, I've got that covered. He was, he's an Episcopalian. <laughs> so that, that was good. And the good news is the surgery went well, but that doesn't always happen. Ministry is being there. Pastoral care is being there. And you all are doing that as a class for each other. I'm sure of it. So keep doing that. Okay. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word and how even though we have read it and read it and loved it and loved it, we still need to hear what you have to say for us. Help us to receive the Gospels as good news for our own ministries, for our own journeys toward salvation, and help us to reach out and include everyone who needs you, from the children in Georgia to the people on the streets of Atlanta to our own families and congregation. Help us to be your persons for Christ in our own world. We ask it in his holy name. Amen. And may all the mothers be blessed, especially today. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you.